On today's Show Me Institute podcast, Dr. Susan Pendergrass is joined by Dr. Neil McCluskey. Dr. McCluskey is the director of Cato's Center for Educational Freedom, and his latest book, Feds in the Classroom, How Big Government Corrupts, Cripples, and Compromises American Education, is available now. They discuss forgiving student debt, the current state of higher education, and what's driving tuition inflation in the U.S. For more Show Me Institute podcasts, go to SoundCloud at SoundCloud slash Show Me Institute and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Here's Dr. Susan Pendergrass and Dr. Neil McCluskey. Talking to younger people who um, really believe that one day in the near future, their student loans are going to go away. They believe that. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is a lot of uh, borrowers didn't think they were going to have to pay back their loans even before Warren and Sanders were putting out their plans because the federal government has had a whole bunch of loan forgiveness plans for a long time. Sure. So sort of recently people are like, well, you know what? I mean, up high never have to pay this back. Certainly not all of it, because I know that the federal government has public service loan forgiveness, income different repayment, and all these things. Uh, presumably, you know, I just won't pay most of this back. Right. And, you know, I work on education policy, and I, certainly in the teacher strike era the last couple of years, I've seen numerous teachers say I make $38,000 a year, I've got $160,000 in student loans, you know, I can't afford to teach at this. And, you know, I can't help but thinking you you took the loans out. Like you were, you had to have been aware when the money got deposited in, into your student account that you were borrowing money. And I think you even have to you know, f- fill out a form acknowledging that you know how much you're borrowing. So it seems weird that people would end up with these loan balances that were completely shocking to them. But yeah, they should they should not have had a loan balance, and the fact that they have a loan balance be shocking. Nor should they have loans of the size that you see reported, sure. which is a shockingly big loan. Um, but most of those, most of the things you see in the media are sort of the absolute worst case scenarios. Right, right. Um, yeah, I did a podcast recently with Andrew Biggs, and we talked about the retirement crisis of like, no one has any money for retirement, and, and senior citizens are, are uh, eating cat food. And he's like, yeah, you can always find those stories. Those are the outrageous <laughs> examples, but that's not the norm. Right. There was a study, I really need to dig it up because it's probably about 10 years ago, but a study by some group, and I don't even remember how they did it, but they, I don't know whether they did sort of a random sampling of a year's worth of student debt media coverage. Yeah. Uh, but they they sort of grabbed the um, human interest anecdote that started each one of these, and they found that the average debt for the people profiled in media stories was like three times what the median debt actually is. Absolutely. Yeah, I used to work with those data all the time. I think it's twenty-five to 30000 is typically what students graduate with, and it's not every student. It's about half or a little over half. So it's definitely overblown. But I want to get to what you wrote recently about this idea of just forgiving student loans, because you had five reasons why it's a terrible idea. And if you don't mind, I just kind of want to go through each of them. And the first one is the one that really gets to me, which is that it's not fair, because by definition, this is a this would be a massive transfer of wealth from those with less earning power to those with more earning power, right? Yeah, I mean, so... Uh, oftentimes the benefit of going to college is somewhat overblown because sort of all of the extra earnings you get uh, on average is sort of attributed to things you learn at the school and that the school provides you. What we sort of know is that most of the benefit of going to college is from getting a credential and that credential signals something about you, but it, it in many cases is not what you learn. That said, the sort of average payoff of getting a college degree, a bachelor's degree, versus if you end your formal education in high school is a million dollars over your lifetime. Huh. It's sort of extraordinary that we would say, well, these people uh, who at least finish, they're going to get that extra million dollars or so, and it's sort of wrong that they should have to pay back their 25000 or $26,000 in debt. I mean, if you just think of it that way, uh, i got 26000 in debt so I can make a million more over my lifetime, uh, no one would ever say, well, that makes sense. That seems fair. Let's let those people be absolved of the debt, which, by the way, it, the large majority of that debt 
is through federal taxpayers. So we're also yeah. saying taxpayers who had no say in this, yeah, that's a tough break for you. Yeah, 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 because someone has to pay it back somewhere, right? It has to get paid back. And, um, you know, it's like a class warfare thing to me. Like, why would you take the people with college degrees and give them a huge benefit uh, based on, you know, and then the people without college degrees get no equal benefit? Like, why don't we forgive car loans for everybody with only a high school diploma? Like, why are we picking this one class? And I kind of get that it's theoretically to encourage more people to go to college, but that's not sensible to forgive the debt of the people who already went. That's not encouraging more people to go to college. Right. Plus, it creates sort of the classic moral hazard of you forgive the debt of some people now. Sure. Everybody who goes to college in the future is be like, I'll take a huge debt because, sure. of course, they have to forgive it because they forgave these other people's debt. I would be a little careful about saying maybe they should forgive car loans instead because sure. they may throw that into the plan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because reality... <laughs> Fiscal reality seems to be no part of these proposals. No, I know. They're massively expensive. Um, so that's the first one. It's not fair. And it's not fair to it's not fair to the person who pays off their student loans the month before this thing goes into effect. It's not fair to people who worked through school and didn't take out student loans. I mean, it's just not fair on so many levels uh, that I, I find it hard to believe that uh, people would accept something that's just patently unfair as a good policy proposal. Yeah, for what it's worth, um, when I look at sort of what wonks say, so not necessarily policy makers or politicians, mm -hmm. but, you know, kind of think tank type people. You and me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but also sort of on the other, you know, wherever you'd put yourself on the ideological spectrum, mm -hmm. there are people on the left who also say this is sort of outrageous because what it's really doing is rewarding people who took out a lot of debt so they could become doctors and lawyers mm -hmm. uh, and make a whole lot of money. And it just it's regressive. Right. And so it doesn't have a lot of, uh, I think, support among people who, you know, are paid to think and write about these things, sure. but it has a lot of intuitive appeal for anybody who says, well, I need to go to college, and college is kind of expensive, and those debt figures look pretty big. Well, I really wish I could go for free, and you know, if I had debt, I wish somebody would just forgive it. Yeah, I know. So the people that are carrying student loan debt, whether it's 20000 or 200000 they're like, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, I wouldn't mind somebody just coming along and erasing that problem for me, but I don't think mm -hmm. it's even realistic. Um, so the other thing that you do talk about is, like, is there actually a student loan crisis? And that makes me think, well, number one, the idea of using um, uh, policy like this to nudge people's behavior reminds me of the supposed housing crisis where it was the belief of the federal government, I guess, that more people should own homes. And so, you know, because they had that fundamental belief, we got ourselves into a lot of trouble with making that happen. So we have this fundamental belief, I suppose, that more people should go to college, and now we're going to make it easier for that to happen. The housing one didn't end well, so mm -hmm. I don't see why this would be a, a better proposal. And I get a little nervous about the federal government deciding what people should do and shouldn't do. But um, is there really a crisis of not having enough people with college degrees? Well, so the housing uh, parallel is a perfect one because what the federal government was sort of doing was backing these subprime loans to people who didn't really appear like they had the financial soundness to, to handle that loan if things went south. Uh, and that's exactly what we've seen in student loans, where the federal government gives out student loans um, to anybody, basically, mm -hmm. who can get accepted to a college without any sort of assessment of whether those people they're going to give the money to are really prepared to do college-level work and, are the, and, and study something that's in demand in the workforce. Sure. Um, and so if there's a crisis here, it's not typically for the people that we see um, profiled who have the $80,000 in debt or the $100,000 in debt. It is disproportionately people who have very small debt, $7,000, $6,000, because those people tend to disproportionately have gone to college, not been prepared or able to handle college, and they drop out. Sure. And so what we've seen is, just like in housing, probably a lot of well-intentioned federal politicians said, we're going to help you. you know, college is kind of expensive. We're going to help you pay for it. Mm -hmm. and, and nobody should be kept out of college. 
And those good intentions go as far as, so we're going to throw the money out there, yeah. and they don't seem to follow through to, what are the actual effects of doing this? And so there isn't a massive crisis of people who have huge amounts of debt that they just can't handle. It's a crisis of people with the small amounts of debt who the federal government gladly settles with the debt without doing any sort of assessment of whether this is a good investment for that person, they're the ones who are really suffering. So sure. we're, we're looking at this the wrong way, typically, when we say it's a crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do know the default rates are exceedingly high for people who started college and didn't finish, and they took out loans. And I, I've talked to people who are like, I don't know, the, I've got a student loan balance somewhere. I dropped out of college after a year. I'm kind of ignoring it. And I've been very clear, like, that will... It only grows exponentially. You can't, mm -hmm. it will not be forgiven in bankruptcy. You probably won't get the Social Security check you think you're going to get because at some point in the future, the government's going to come and collect that debt. So I wouldn't really ignore it, but it can be overwhelming when you don't have the college degree, you're not making more money, yet you've got the student loan debt, and that is a problem. Yeah, and the federal government, again, is to blame for this, not just because they give out the loans, which is the root problem, mm -hmm. but the, they have made it almost impossible to figure out how is the best, what is the best way to repay these or finance mm -hmm. them. So I forget last time I looked, I think there are at least nine different ways to repay your loans. There are numerous ways that you can, uh, you can uh, sort of, uh, wait to, to pay your loans. There are all sorts of things the federal government does. And the result is a system to to handle your loans that is uh, so opaque and so complex mm -hmm. that almost nobody can figure them out. And again, it's because probably over time, politicians generally, I think, have been well-intentioned. They're like, well, we see this problem repaying. Let's create a new program. Here's right. another kind of problem repaying. Here's another program and and it makes a system that is impossibly complex to navigate especially if you're a lower income person you know you can't afford to hire your parents can't afford to hire like a tax lawyer and accountant right. who can advise you on how to do this sort of stuff uh, you don't read the Wall Street Journal for an hour every morning um, and so again it's been it's really been painful and regressively painful right. um, and it's because good intentions so rarely translate into thinking beyond what you can see right now which is well somebody needs to go to college yeah. it's kind of expensive let's give them the money i was shocked the first time i filled out a fafsa so i have three kids who are now all out of college and a couple out of grad school so the first time i filled out a fafsa on one of their behalfs it was unbelievable to me it took about 10 minutes there's no credit check you uh get an estimate of how much you can borrow and let's be honest here the, the undergraduate uh student loan limits are like twenty-seven thousand five hundred after four years it's not a hundred thousand so we're not talking about that at all if you're just a typical undergrad you can borrow 5500 the first year this is what it used to be maybe 6500 and then 7500 however getting that money is unbelievably easy you just push a button you tell them what school to send it to and that's that and the money's yours. And so if you're not financially responsible, I can't. I don't think that's a good system um, for uh, right. putting money into people's accounts. It's so easy. And then with graduate school, obviously, you can borrow as much as you want. It's unlimited. And you can borrow to live. And I see a lot of bad decision making going there as well. But it is just really easy to get that money. Too easy, I think. Right. Well, and there is, it's grown a lot probably in the last seven or eight years. But right. so for graduate students, you can get something called a grad plus loan, which yeah. uh, has no limit. For undergrads, the the student themselves can't get this, but their parents can now get something called parent plus loans, yep. which have been around for a while, but they, they essentially eliminated the cap on what you can get. And there's no income requirement. And it's or, growing, you know, right? You know, you, exactly. So even as we've seen these caps on what the student themselves can borrow, we've seen a lot of growth in these Parent Plus loans. Um, and so we're still, you know, and, and yet, and that, of course, is yet one more or two more forms of government aid that makes it so hard to figure out how does this system work. Right. And probably the most concerning part of the FAFSA, other than its size, you know, if you 
follow this enough, you've seen Lamar Alexander because almost everywhere he goes to talk about higher ed, right. he carries a FAFSA with him and then he kind of unfurls it for everyone. You know, he holds it up real high and then it calls down and it's all over the floor. And he talks about how complicated it is. Well, all that information goes to the colleges, to the institutions, and they use that so that when they provide their own aid, they can price discriminate. They can say, well, we know this family earns X, and their kids, you know, they have test scores of Y, and, and we want this mix of as much revenue as we get, but also to raise our profile higher test scores. So we'll condition our own aid based on all these variables because we have all the information we want sure. about every applicant. Can you, Whereas, um, I feel like I keep we keep throwing the word FAFSA around. Federal application, wait, for, financial federal, application? I think it's federal application for student aid. It's FAFSA, but, but I think it's the yeah. federal application for financial student aid, one of those things. But it's called the it, FAFSA, and if you want to go to college and you need money from the federal government, either through a loan or a grant, you fill one out. And then you uh, basically include all of the information from your parents' tax return on there, plus other information on assets and things like that. So they do get a lot of information about your... Um, finances or your parents' finances, and that's right, then that information's all out there, too, to be used by institutions however they want. Yeah, and they use a lot of it. And then some institutions will actually ask for even more information. At some point, you think somebody said, if I have to fill out one more form, I'm just not going to college. Sure, but sure. people realize it's important to get their credential. In fact, that's something important to understand is a lot of people are in a catch-22 because as the federal government started to subsidize higher education. It, you know, it started with the GI Bill after World War mm -hmm. II, but it really ramped up in the 60s and 70s. That encouraged more and more people to go to college without much evidence they were learning anything, but mm -hmm. they were getting these degrees. And we've had this massive credential inflation where jobs increasingly haven't actually changed what you need to be able to do. Right. But they say you've got to have a credential. So In anything. Know, in some jobs, it's like you have to have a college degree in anything. If you're going right. to be a salesperson, you can bring a college degree in radio and television. That's fine. You just have to have a college degree. Yeah. And it's because um, it's a basic signal that says, well, if you have a college degree, you know, you're probably, you stick, you, yeah, first stick of all, you follow, you follow the what is socially acceptable. You know, the mm -hmm. expectation is you'll go to college. You can finish a program that you start. Right. Um, and depending on the college, it may say something about, you know, you're probably pretty smart. Um, and there, and to be fair, there are some programs, probably mainly engineering and economics, mm -hmm. where you actually <laughs> are learning valuable things in college, and college is probably the best place to do it. But for the most part, we're seeing employers ask for these credentials as a basic signal, and because they don't cost the employer or anything, but that True. puts lots of people in a catch-22 where they really shouldn't go to college. Right. To do things that they could probably do, now they have to get a degree. So right. we've set up a really kind of vicious cycle, too, with all this. And again, it stems from probably people at the federal level saying we really just want to help, but not thinking through what actually will happen with the help they think they're providing. And of course, now we know all the negative ramifications, but it's politically very difficult if you're you know, running for office to be the person who says, we actually need to cut back this aid because we know it actually hurts. Right, right. Because to most people, they just see the immediate problem, which is, but if you were to take away the aid, I couldn't pay for college, which is absolutely right because so, the colleges have baked the aid right in the price right so getting to the price the price of college has gone up much faster than inflation it's like right up there with health care and how fast the price of I'm, i i feel badly for people with young children i'm glad mine are through because the prices are going up at a rate that i don't think is sustainable do you think that there's going to be a, a pricing bubble in higher ed that's going to pop yeah. We've been hearing about the possibility of a bubble for a while. Right. I will say I haven't seen much of a pricing bubble, although prices, if I recall, have stopped accelerating as much over the last few years. There's been a, a drop in the number of people going to college. This is in part because more people tend to go to college during a recession, in part mm -hmm. because they lose a job and need something to do, in part because they want to reskill. Mm -hmm. um, and the recession ended, so we saw a lot of people stop going to college who would. There have clearly been people who said, you know what, 
this isn't worth the price anymore. Mm -hmm. But we haven't, this has been sort of, I think, on the margins. We haven't seen a real bubble where suddenly there's just been a big drop in the amount of people going to colleges. There's been a slight uptick in the number of small, typically small private colleges that go out of business. Mm -hmm. For-profit schools have certainly lost a fair amount of business, but nothing major. And as long as the federal government, I think, can borrow money, there's not going to be any sort of natural cap on what people are willing to pay for college because the federal government will keep giving them money to go and increasingly say, you know what, even if they don't have blanket forgiveness, they're still going to have things like public yeah. service loan forgiveness programs that everybody thinks they're going to get. So uh, like speaking to that, when the federal government makes money easy to get and the Pell Grant for low-income students, every time that goes up, do you see uh, an equal uh, increase in tuition? Because to me, that's just... If somebody else is paying the bill, then the universities are just going to say, look, the government's going to pay us more money for every student, so we're just going to charge more. They're not going to um, somehow lower their costs or, you know what I mean? Like, don't they just raise their right. prices every time that the federal government makes the money easier for them to get? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's quite as simple as that. So okay. that's basically something called the Bennett hypothesis, which I think yeah. is accurate. Uh, so in 1987, then Secretary of Education Bill Bennett wrote an op-ed that was titled our greedy colleges. He probably didn't actually write that title, probably the New York <laughs> Times did, where the op-ed ran. But that was sort of the idea uh, And what he said was, look, the more aid we provide, the more colleges can raise their prices. And I think that's true. It gets a little more complicated than sort of a one-for-one a -one exchange. So if a Pell Grant, if the maximum Pell Grant goes up $100, we don't see sort of the next year average tuition and fee charges go up $100. In part, that's because not everybody gets a Pell Grant. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in part, because most of the loan increases have been in loans. I'm sorry, most of the aid increases sure. have been in the form of loans. A lot of the aid increase, though, has also been in the form of tax credits and lots of other things that have different effects. And I don't actually get the sense uh, from looking at the data that most colleges sit and they say, we're going we're gonna to watch this, and when the federal government increases the maximum Pell Grant by $100, we're going to raise our price by $100. What colleges seem to do is, like everybody, they always have things they think would be good to do if they could get more money. Yeah, yeah. And they look at all the different places they can get more money, and they get it where they can. And so you'd see, what we tend to see is that not so much that there's a kink, you know, a mm -hmm. Pell Grant goes up $100 and the next year there's a $100 kink in the tuition and fee revenue from schools. What we've actually seen is tuition and fee revenue on a, uh, in a per pupil basis over the last 35 years or whatever, it's pretty much just at a steady clip because they always know they can get more money. And I say a steady so, clip, a steady incline, not the same level. Yeah, yeah. And so they but always. But states are pulling to, back, though, right? Or, or have states pulled back in how much they're giving to schools? So, right. So this is a, a sort of a myth. Oh. Sort of myth. So not entirely a myth that that we deal with a lot. So the, the biggest argument is not that colleges raise their prices in large part because aid enables them to. And it's certainly true that aid has enabled colleges to raise their prices. Uh -huh. Again, not one for one, but because colleges always want to spend money on stuff and they can get it through aid. But the argument is always, or is typically, well, the, the reason that prices have gone up so much is because state aid has dropped. Right. Well, the reality is if you look 25 years ago, 35 years ago, and you look at the, the trend, Overall spending by state and local governments, because local governments supply most of the money for community colleges, which are also part of this system, uh, in real terms have gone up a lot. Last I checked, I think 25 years ago, uh, maybe it was 1980 actually, I look at a lot of these numbers, but it was like 58,000, or 58, uh, I think it was billion dollars that state local governments spent on higher education. Mm -hmm. I think last year, the year before, it was around $80 billion. So the absolute amount has definitely gone up. Sure. The next, the, where it changes is, on a per pupil basis, it tends to go up and down like a roller coaster. So in good economic times, it goes way up. 
uh, because fewer people are in college and states have more money to spend. In bad economic times, it goes down because more people are in college and states have less money to spend. But if you look at a trend, yeah, uh, smooth it out over 25 years, it's almost perfectly flat. It is a slight, slight downtrend, but almost perfectly flat. Well, and so it's not that states and, and local governments were important. It's not that they're getting tight-fisted. There had been big increases in enrollment, and even then, it really goes up and down with the business cycle. Now, let me ask you this. In Missouri, we have a, I would say, a struggling economy. We're losing, we have a net out-migration of people with college degrees. Our uh, educational attainment rates, like 25% of Missourians have a bachelor's degree, which is about 15 points lower, I think, than the national rate, or at least 10. And so it's something we think about a lot, like what are we doing? We're not attractive to people with college degrees, and we use this percent with college degrees as like a metric to judge how well we're doing. Do you think that that's uh, smart? Do you think that that's uh, the, you know, uh, uh, a good measure to use? Because we talk about it a lot. And so then you have something like these, what I think are pretty insane proposals to get so many more people to and through college. And it, in an, in one sense, maybe that would benefit a state like Missouri. Yeah, well, so it's probably a useful measure. It's limited like any measure. But yeah. to say, well, okay, why does our state not have as many people with college degrees as other states? I don't necessarily think that's the most important thing to tell you whether or not your state is a good state or a bad state. It's one of the things Uh, that we look at. I mean, it's not, but it is certainly something that concerns us when we have an out migration, which means even people who do graduate from college in Missouri don't stick around and people with college degrees don't see this apparently as an attractive state. And, you know, um, businesses, uh, clearly Amazon was not going to build HQ2 in Missouri. I hope I'm not upsetting anybody when I say that, but I don't think there was any chance that that was going to happen because of the uh, education level of our workforce is a big part of that. So we don't look attractive to business when we don't have at least the national average percentage of people with college degrees. And so I don't know. I feel like that's something that we need to work on, but that doesn't mean we make it free. Right. So uh, the reason I say that it's not, you know, it shouldn't be sort of the only measure you use is, you know, there are a lot of places where people don't have a whole lot of education. They don't have particularly high income where people seem like they're sort of happy. So I just want to say that that it's not it's not the only metric. But I think much more important and probably central to what you're talking about is if you have a low percentage of people with college degrees, but what you find is that people with college degrees leave your state, that is an indication that your problem is not your state isn't producing enough college degrees, it's there's something about the economy that's problematic. (laughs) So I was just, uh, I was uh, speaking on a panel and and the person in charge of higher education in Louisiana was one of the panelists. Mm -hmm. And so I just happened to be paying attention to Louisiana and they're concerned about the same thing about, well, you know, we have a very low percentage of our population with uh, degrees. And so this is the only reason I was focused at all in Louisiana. It just so happened a day or two after uh, I was on that panel, there was a news story that came out about how Louisiana can't hold on to the students that it pays to get college degrees. And so I just want to caution people. They, I see this a lot in states and countries where they say, well, we have fewer college degrees than other places, so we really need to put a whole lot of money into higher education so to get more degrees, and they don't see that people leave. In fact, there was a a lot of study of the Tennessee Valley Authority, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, back in the 30s, uh, and one of the things that TVA was, or or a lot of the aid to Appalachia was supposed to do was, it was about education, and we get more people with degrees. And what they found was, what people did when they got education in Appalachia, paid for by the federal government largely, is they then left Appalachia. Sure. So Alabama you know, has the same thing. Alabama has free tuition for out-of-state students if you have a high enough SAT or or ACT score. And when I talk to somebody in their higher ed commission about that, they that's their thinking. If we bring people from out of state, we give them free tuition, then when they graduate, they'll stay. And I think that that um, d- does not happen. I don't think people will stay because they got free tuition. I mean, uh, I don't think that's a winning policy, but let's talk about policy for a second. 
if if uh, these uh, loan forgiveness proposals are terrible ideas, which they are, what's a better idea? What do we do? Presuming that we want to make uh, college accessible for the people who should go, what do we do? Right. Well, there are a number of things we can do, very broadly, but least politically likely, is we should phase out federal student aid. Now, the, the problem is that you've got to go through a very long explanation of not just the immediate consequences, but all the long-term consequences of that and the unintended consequences that we've gotten from student aid. And then you would see that it's much better if we have people pay for college with their own money or money they get voluntarily from other people. Because the you, price will adjust, then the market yeah. will function and the price will adjust. Because when you first say that, I think, okay, no way. Like we yeah. have, we've all just gotten used to this process where people give us money to go to college. Right, so and that's why, change that would be that's why I say politically is it's not realistic, okay. but it is the message that we need to send for long-term change. People need to understand all of the massive negative consequences that go with this thing that we think is helping. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the low-income people who get hurt the most sure. by far, and those are the ones we were supposedly helping. So the long term is we've got to make the public understand that so that we phase student aid out. Uh, no one would say, you know, next year we get rid of all federal aid programs because lots of institutions and lots of people do lots of long-term planning for this. Of course. Um, it's more, uh, there, there's two things that are more politically realistic. One is just sort of what I said, only focused on short-term increments. I talked about the Parent PLUS loan. The Trump administration talked about at least returning that mm. to the old caps it had. I think the caps were 10 years ago or so. I can't remember the exact time. but. And that's a start to say mm -hmm. this program that is not targeted at the low income people, that's really targeted at kind of upper middle class people, mm -hmm. I would say why should we have it at all, but at least let's cap what you can get through it. So that's the beginning is looking at individual parts of the federal student aid system and saying, let's let's put a cap on this. Let's get rid of it. Because if I'm understanding you correctly, it's like health care, right? I don't know what the price of an x-ray is because I get this crazy price and it's a third party who's dealing with it. Uh, and so I, I don't know what it costs to take an x-ray, but I know that uh, on my bill, it's a lot of money and then somebody else works it out. So maybe we don't actually know the true cost of college because it's gotten, the prices have been distorted by the availability of money to pay the prices? Is that uh, Absolutely. It oh, is okay. a huge third-party payer problem. Got it. Um, and, you know, I, I always talk about uh, water parks that are found on many campuses now. Mm -hmm. uh, in you fact, Missouri, I mean, you have to have a lazy river. How, yes, do, you, how do you go to college if there's no lazy river? What do you do? I, I, I guess you got to walk there because you can't take a canoe. Missouri's got, what, this insane uh, well, water facility? Missouri was the first one to get on my radar with something called the Tiger Grotto at the University of Missouri. Mm -hmm. And there were pictures of presumably undergrads, I don't know, they might have been grad students, but they were lounging at the side of this lazy river which has palm trees and things around it while somebody in a Hawaiian shirt is serving them fruit smoothies. <laughs> and that's like, What's that's your problem with that, Neil? Come on, <laughs> these kids are working hard. They're going into class, they're studying. Don't they deserve no. a tiger grotto for some downtime? Yeah. Well, it, it's because I'm cruel. I know. Um, I think college should be like the old days, you know, where you were in your kind of monastic cell with a desk <laughs> and you read scrolls. What was the um, price on the tiger grotto? I do. You uh, I don't Fifty million. Remember grotto because it was already built by the time yeah. it hit my radar but then it turns out southwest missouri state which now is a new name and i can't remember it they also have a very impressive aquatic center really? which means there's probably competition within missouri um the most famous that i can think well the tiger grotto is the first the most infamous is louisiana state university lsu has had a big aquatics project uh, that they've since finished, but they they hit a big budget problem in the state of Louisiana, and the governor was saying we're going to have to make drastic cuts to the university. And somebody said, well, why don't we cut the funding that's going to go to this water park that includes a lazy river that is shaped in the letters LSU? Nice. And everyone's like, well, hold on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
not crazy. There's no way we're cutting that. So anyway, I talk about these water parks, and people say, well, they're not the drivers of their price, and they're absolutely right. But they are symptoms of the mm-hmm. fact that people are paying prices with money that is not theirs, with third-party money. Right. So, of course, they will demand things that are really extraneous, that so seem you, fun. My expectation is perfectly landscaped, perfectly clean sidewalk. I mean, most college campuses in the United States are, you know, kept and maintained to, uh, to a level that if you've ever been to a European university, I mean, they look like factories. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? There's the none, none of the landscaping is there, none of the right. recreational activities. It is pretty, the ones I've been to, pretty basic. Um, and so, and I know that I used to, my former bosses are OECD representatives. So he meets with 69 other economically developed countries regularly. And the one thing that most of the other countries cannot understand is our per pupil spending on higher education. Like they, And so he's taken them to tour college campuses just so they can see what they look like because right. they don't understand how we're paying so much more than most every other developed country. Yeah, oh, they definitely need to take a tour. I wish every American would take a tour. And they might say, why am I spending so much money on this? Right. It's basically four to six years of an uh, an on-land carnival cruise with some <laughs> classes thrown in. <laughs> All uh, right, okay, it, you are mean. It, <laughs> well, I, I was just at the University of Michigan, and I was looking out over, you know, one of their many lawns, and I thought, this is outrageous. Beautiful. I mean, I'm sure it's a it's great school, and there's a lot of good stuff in higher ed. I mean, I don't sure. want to just denigrate it. Right. There is important research done there. It is good, actually, that we are sort of a destination, the United States is, that That's people right. want to go to for higher ed. Mm-hmm. But just because they're good parts doesn't mean there isn't an awful lot of waste of money. There is. And it's impossible to go to colleges now and not see a whole bunch of cranes. Right. Think what? What? Why is right. it part of higher education that you have a football stadium that seats a hundred thousand people? Why is it that you have to have recreation programming going on like nonstop? Right. And dorms and, with granite countertops. I mean, I, I know we've definitely gotten into this amenities arms race for sure. But, um, but what about this idea? I heard somebody float. I think it was. David Armour might have floated this idea, but uh-huh. that you uh, students can't get a student loan until after their first semester and until after they've gotten like a 2.5 or a 3.0. Yeah, um, that's have, you, have you heard this idea before? Well, uh, I haven't heard that specific idea. I've floated the idea, which is not really original to me. Anybody who does any sort of other loans Mm -hmm. uh, would say they should be underwritten. uh, And that that means basically there should be an assessment of risk before a loan is given out. And I think if you're going to have these federal student loans, there should be an assessment at least of what are your standardized test scores? What classes have you taken? And if you don't and demonstrated you're able to do college level work, you're likely to be able to do it, the federal government shouldn't give you a loan. Uh, I think this is an interesting proposal of, well, you do a semester and you demonstrate whether you are able to do what you need to do in college. I think the question would be, how do you get colleges to accept they may not get paid for that semester? Because people say, if you don't have enough money, You've got to have a loan or you can't afford. Isn't there a way, though, to get the colleges invested? So if the underwriting involves the college and university, which is to say that if if we give a loan and it goes into the student account and they can't pay it back or they weren't able to pass the class, then couldn't you have the colleges have some skin in that game? Uh, Well, skin in the game is definitely a big discussion. Um, I worry about skin in the game public policy or laws because what we've seen is they will be directed at only unpopular colleges. So people said, you know what? If a college has a default rate, student loan default rate over X amount, um, they should have to be responsible for half of that total default amount or something like that. But then they'll say, but we're going to exclude community colleges and we're going to exclude uh, HBCUs or, or, or lots of other schools. Sure. And, and it tends to then reduce to, so we're going to basically apply it to for-profit colleges. Right. So the skin of the game idea is not necessarily a bad one, other than politically it ends up usually being distorted. And it takes our sight off of the root problem which is the federal government giving these loans without any assessment 
of the borrower. And we say, no, it's not it's never the, the lender's fault. It's These are bad institutions that aren't really helping people. Institutions are just following their incentives, which are these people have money. They're told to go to college. We're happy to take them, even if they are not likely to finish. Yeah, so, but then the institution's not invested in whether they finish or not. What you're saying is there's an, always a, a new supply of people coming in with money, so it doesn't really matter to them if, if anyone finishes or if they have student loans or if they default. So how can we make it matter? Is there a way? Well, I mean, that's that's what would make it matter in part is if we have if we keep a system of massive distortions because people are paying with someone else's money yeah. then that is one way to do it is we say okay now we're going to add another distortion by what we're going to say the schools have to pay back some of this default mm. but that's where you get into the problem of anytime we've seen a proposal like this it's oh, but we're only going to apply it to certain schools yeah. and those are schools that don't have much political capital so um, what about this idea of a student goes to college for free but then pays back the college or university with a portion of their income when they're out. Right, and that's sort of the more the sort of more promising, I think, than uh, than the skin in the game is making it easy to run these called um, uh, income share agreements. Right. Um, we used to call them human capital contracts, but that just sounded terrible. <laughs> it does sound uh, terrible. Uh, so somebody in the marketing of these, like, let's not use that yeah. term anymore. And and I mean, really what it is, is it's instead of a loan where you get a certain amount of money and then are expected to pay it back plus interest over a certain amount of time, someone invests in you and then they get a certain percentage of your income for a set amount of time. Uh, and so we've seen Purdue University mm -hmm. is probably the biggest name that's started uh, an ISA program and is essentially kind of what you describe, which is you will go to this college and you basically won't be charged while you're there, but you're going to owe us a percentage of your income after you get out. Mm -hmm. uh, and that may be the most promising thing, except you don't want government to do it because they will immediately go to, you know what, you won't actually have to pay back right, right, right. the amount of your income you said you would. But it, 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 it's real, the benefit of the ISA is it fixes a very real problem of, if you have a loan, as soon as you get out of college, or it could be six months after, depending on the kind of loan, mm -hmm. you're expected to pay the same sort of amount of that loan back as you were as you are 10 years from now. That's right. And what you want is, if you're not earning a lot, you don't have much burden to pay it back. But mm -hmm. when you are earning a lot, then you pay most of it back because it's a percentage of your income. So I like that idea. I, I don't like, for, personally, just to point to a policy that like the proposed get rid of all student loans on a certain debt day and then make it free after that. I don't like just pointing out how terrible that is without having a better idea behind it. And so I do think we're smart enough to figure out solutions to this problem but i i'm just going back to the original conversation we were having this is like a punt to me this is just like saying okay here's the bluntest thing we could do anyone with student loans they're gone from now on no one takes student loans that to me shows no insight into the problem or no attempt to come up with a workable solution it just seems like somebody like they're punting and it's not just one person multiple people are talking about this yeah, I mean, Warren Sanders have talked the most about the most forgiveness, but other people running for, uh, especially the Democratic nomination, have talked about some version or another of some sort of free college and some sort of helping to repay debt. And I think you're right. It's it's really uh, punting on it. But it, it's sort of a natural evolution of what we've seen, not just in higher ed, but in healthcare and elsewhere, of mm -hmm. we government helps to pay for something it leads to massive distortions and the solution isn't to stop doing the thing that led to the massive net negative distortions it's well we'll take over even more of it right to the right. point where we'll just totally hide anything like cost and price and we'll just pay for everything and then of course you get to the problem of well that ends up with a massively degraded either healthcare system or in this case higher ed system where mm -hmm. we end up kind of like the europeans where they kind of have higher ed and it you know it supplies some degrees but it's not it's not pleasant right. um it's not 
consumer friendly at all and they have to do a whole lot of rationing where you know in K through 12 level they say well you know you're gonna take an exam and that exam is going to determine whether you get to go to a university or you go to trade school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we talk about free college, people here aren't thinking about what that means 10 years down the road for what college will actually look like. For sure. And that's what we need to do, but we don't so because what is, politics we, is so short term. That's right, and short-sighted. So what are you doing at Cato to... To try to inform people, I mean, I, I loved your article, but what else? What else can you do to push back against these ideas that are very appealing because they're very generous? Yes, that's the perpetual libertarian and probably conservative problem. It's uh-huh. how do you fight Santa Claus? I um, don't know. And and it's hard. Um, I actually think that we've made some progress. I should say we do have a kind of new book uh, that I co-edited with Todd Zwicky called "Examining Cause." Uh, sorry, unprofitable schooling. Examining cause of and fixes for America's broken ivory tower. Right. And it talks about these issues. And it's uh, and the article I wrote. And a, a lot of what we do at Cato, just broadly, and I think think tanks do a lot of this. Is we're trying to play the long game of just constantly informing the public as best we can why these great sounding things are bad. So I've written on why free college is bad. Uh, Our policy analyst, Russ Ryan, has written about it. Uh, It's all over this book. Um, And I would say, uh, when I first started at Cato 16 years ago, I was hired to do 16 years ago? It's been a while. Um, (laughs) That that makes me officially old. People wonder, (laughs) haven't you been fired yet? Uh, But uh, I I was hired to do K through 12, but this report landed on my desk called the College Cost Crisis, Mm -hmm. and it was from the House Subcommittee, uh, Higher Ed Subcommittee, and it had this table, and it's probably 20 years, and one column of the table was percentage increase in tuition fees uh, for, you know, 20 years. And the other one was percentage increase in federal student aid per student for 20 years and they're like you know we're looking at this thing and the price keeps going up and we keep raising our aid but we can never catch up to the price what the heck is going on here and i thought wait a minute come on what's going on here economics is going on yeah the aid gets based baked into the price and remarkably i started to write about that and there were people who just expressed shock and some outrage saying that nobody believes that. It's been totally disproven. Mm-hmm. How dare anyone say this again? And what we've actually seen, or at least I think I've seen over the last 16 years, is more and more people recognize that student aid is fueling uh, tuition inflation. Joe Biden actually, a few years ago, uh, I think when he was running with Obama for the second Obama term, said, yeah, I mean, definitely, student aid leads to higher prices. But, you know, we got to go to college. Yeah. Uh, what really sort of brought this to the fore was, yes, I think a lot of it was me and, uh, and people in other places. The James G. Martin Center in North Carolina writes about it a lot, saying, look, you, you don't have to be a genius to see that aid leads to higher prices. You just need to look at data and think about the logic. Just line up the um, two lines. Yeah. Put the two lines next to each other. And yeah, I mean, I, I like what you say about fighting against Santa Claus because I find myself in that situ- situation a lot. Uh, teacher pensions is a topic area that I work on here. And people are always thinking that I'm trying to take a pension check out of the hands of a retired teacher, which I'm never trying to do. But right. one of my favorite things that Milton Friedman talked about was uh, people spending other people's money on other people. And that's like your least. Uh, least cautious spending is when you're spending someone else's money on someone else and you get into situations where you know we can't continue to sign new teachers up for these pension systems that are already uh facing financial uh crisis levels and yet i just sound like a bad guy like i don't like teachers i don't like children here i don't like college it's like it's none of that is true and but as many times as i say it it doesn't matter people still think that i am just going after like the most vulnerable in society but it's like You can't just think that there is an unlimited supply of money for these things. There isn't. It's limited. I know, but we do. And uh, what was it today I saw? Oh, uh, some group, uh, TCAS, uh, uh, I can't remember what they stand for, but they said, look, they put out a proposal of, uh, along the lines, I think, of what uh, Warren or Sanders would do when they say we want free colleges. They want states to spend more money, and the way they get states to spend more money is they say the federal government 
we'll provide more money and you have to match oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. Like, they're like, this is a great idea. Oh, Except yeah. The national debt is now at $22 trillion. <laughs> at some point, that has to be paid. And by the way, that means the federal government doesn't have these money, this money. But everybody I talk to is like, oh, well, the, see, the, states, the states don't have the money, but the federal government can just make it. So yeah, let's do it. These are economists. Yeah. And so it drives me yeah. a, a little batty. But the good news, sort of, is that my observation is that people recognize aid, fuels, tuition, inflation, mm-hmm. and what really crystallizes it for people is actually Occupy Wall Street, uh, you know, 2010 or whenever that was, which mm-hmm. didn't really have a clear message, but one of the messages I had that most people got was people are really mad that college cost so much and they didn't think it was yeah. worth it. And I saw people on the left who were saying, you know, the aid is really a problem here. Unfortunately, the solution that people have come up with is, well, so we just shouldn't charge anything. Just get rid of it. We should make it like K through 12, and we fund it all directly, and then it'll be free to everybody, which is a way worse situation. But people have started to recognize the problem. Now our problem is to make them understand why they don't want uh, a uh, quote-unquote free college system because it's going to lead to a lot of rationing and a lot less good time in college. Um, I will have to defend the students at the University of Missouri by saying that they built dorms that sort of go back to the old style of two or three people in a very small room and they uh, offer those at a lower cost and they're the most popular dorms. I mean, maybe I'm not going to be completely correct. Somebody can correct me on that. But it's a very popular program because when students have the option of paying less money and getting less amenities, they are willing to do it and parents are willing to do it. So I think the idea that every student demands granite counters in their dorms is incorrect. I think that they would like to find a lower cost solution, as would a lot of parents who are trying to figure out how to send their kids to college. So I'm hoping that we'll get more rational about this, but these irrational ideas, you know, we gotta we gotta keep fighting the fight, Neil. We gotta keep correcting people. Yep, that's all we can do, and we uh, and I think it's easy to get discouraged, but I think actually we do make progress on these okay. things. Not always, but certainly at the K through 12 level, as you know, I mean, yeah. school choice used to be something that you know was sort of a nice idea but nobody actually had it uh now it's kind of accepted that you'll have a say in where your kids go to school so there's never you never give up never never say never yeah (laughs) even though on a daily basis it can be discouraging to be the person who has to you know push santa claus away and be like oh hold on there Uh, where are you getting the money for these presents um but long term i think that things can can and often do go in the right direction i think that's right well it's great talking to you um Keep doing great work, and we will follow what you do, and uh, follow us out here at the Show Me Institute. We're doing our Missouri thing. Will do. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dale. So long. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at showmeinstitute.org.